than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals? It's Superman, Superman, Superman. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 77 of the Man of Screen Podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode we're going to look at episodes 25 through 28 of season 1 of the Filmation Cartoons, The New Adventures of Superman. And in between all that, I'm going to look at episodes 13 and 14 of The Adventures of Superboy. But before we get to uh, the business of this week's episode, I have some email to address from several people. The first letter is from friend of the show, Dave McElvenny, and a very frequent letter writer. Dave is writing in on episode 70, The Unaired Pilots. So Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. First off, congratulations on the birth of your new daughter. I hope she, her big sister, her mom, and you all are well and happy. First and foremost, I'm going to stick a pin in Dave right there and say thank you, Dave, for your well wishes. Um, the uh, For those of you who don't know, I had a... Uh, my second daughter, over the summer, and uh, we are all doing uh, very well. So, again, thank you, Dave, for your congratulations. Next, God bless you for having the strength and courage to cover The Adventures of Super Pup, a dreadful disaster of a show if there ever was one. Like you, I think we're all left to wonder what in the world they were thinking, not only to come up with this idea, but to produce it. I won't say any more, because the less said about it, the better. The Adventures of Superboy was a far better show, which seemed to have very good potential. It truly is a shame that it never made it beyond the pilot. I liked Johnny Rockwell as Superboy, and the rest of what probably would have been the regular cast also seemed to be well cast. It really was very close to the Superboy comics of the time, even down to the blinking lamp signal from Chief Parker. While it's true that Chief Parker seemed a bit too dependent on Superboy, as you point out, it is a Superboy show and not CSI Smallville. So the focus is going to be on the Boy of Steel and not police procedures. The show is one of those it-might-have-been things where fans can speculate whether... If it actually had been produced as a series, it would have gone to color episodes, and whether we might have seen Crypto eventually. I'm looking forward to hearing your coverage of Filmation's The New Adventures of Superman cartoon series. As always, thanks for a fun podcast. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. Again, thank you, Dave. I always appreciate your feedback. It's always uh, very well thought out. And, yeah, I'm not... I really don't have anything to add on Super Pup that I didn't already say in episode 70. Like Dave said, the best... The least said about that, the better. And, yeah, I'm with Dave. I really would have liked to have seen The Adventures of Superboy produced as a series, and hopefully it would have gone to color, and maybe we would have seen Crypto. I don't know. If you have Crypto, you have to have dog wranglers on the set and all that, and I'm not sure. 1961, early 60s television is ready to uh, tackle the idea of Crypto the Superdog. And I also agree with Dave that the show was the Boy of Steel and not the police procedures, so Chief Parker had to call Superboy for a plot convenience. It is a Superboy show and not the police. So that's all I got, really got to say to Dave. You know, not much to add there. Dave uh, makes his points very well, and more times than not, I find myself in agreement with him. So I'm going to move right along to my next letter, and this is from Kirk Greenfield. And Kirk is also writing in on episode number 70, and Kirk writes, You know, you say that these two were unaired pilots, but listening to your show, I am very suspicious, because they sound somewhat familiar. Are you sure they weren't released either as a Christmas show for the for the producer's crew's family, 
or bundled into a syndication package as an extra. I have a strong recollection of either my father or my uncle describing how Superman could compress coal into a diamond under heat and pressure. Was that also addressed in some episode of The Adventures of Superman? And the walking grandfather clock and lighting the fuse sounds familiar also. Thanks for addressing these two, and congrats on the new addition at home, Kirk Greenfield. And Kirk is the former host, former co-host of the Imperious Rex podcast. Alright, so... Kirk has a couple of questions in his letter here that I want to address. The first is which, am I sure they won't release as a Christmas show for the producer's crew's family or bundled into a syndication package as an extra? I really don't know the answer to that question. The only release of either of these two that I really remember, and I don't have this DVD set to confirm, that they were released on that mega 14-disc set of the Christopher Reeve movies that came out a few years ago. Actually, more than a few years ago. But if anybody can uh, write in and let me know, but I do believe Super Pup and the Superboy pilot were on those DVDs, kind of as is. And that's where the YouTube versions that I saw came from. But if anybody can confirm that for me, I'd greatly appreciate it. And as far as the recollection of his father describing how Superman could compress coal into a diamond, this was covered on the episode... The season two episode, Jungle Devil, that's the episode in which uh, this expedition looking for some tropical medicine kind of got lost in the jungle and the wife uh, took the diamond, which was the idol's eyes, dropped it in the quicksand, and all the trouble kind of started from there. For those of you who listened to that episode, that was episode 35, which covered Jungle Devil. And the resolution to that problem was Clark found some coal, squeezed it, and formed a diamond out of his bare hand. So that was covered on The Adventures of Superman. For the younger crowd, and by younger I mean people who uh, grew up with Superman 3, you'll know that at the end of that film, Superman also compressed some coal into a diamond to fashion a diamond ring for Lana Lang. And also, back to The Adventures of Superman, it's paid some lip service to that Superman could do that in the season 4 episode, The Girl Who Hired Superman, where uh, the uh, character Mara Van Cleaver mentions that it takes tons of heat and pressure to mold a diamond and is appropriately surprised that Superman could do it with his bare hands. So, And Kirk also mentioned that the walking grandfather clock and lighting the fuse sounds familiar also. I'm sure neither of those are new things. I'm sure they've been on cartoons. So maybe you saw it there. I don't know. And again, uh, thank you, Kirk, for your congratulations on the new edition at home. Everything is uh, going well as of this recording. <laughs> so with that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with the next episodes of The Adventures of Superman and The Adventures of Superboy. Hang around, folks. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? 
All right, welcome back, folks. And uh, for the three uh, episodes covered in segment number one, the original broadcast date was December 3rd, 1966. And we're going to start with Superman's Double Trouble. And this was written by Oscar Bensall. And as usual, all of these uh, synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Aboard a government submarine, Clark Kent changes into Superman when an underwater earthquake sets free a giant lobster. Must have hit something. No, I don't think so. What's happened? Sir, it's an undersea earthquake. We're at the center of it. Secure old gear. Sit her down on the bottom, Chief. Nearby, a violent tremor splits the ocean's floor, and a giant lobster, awakened from its million year sleep, crawls out of the wide rift. At the same time, a similar giant alligator is set free from the volcano. When the two huge beasts come together on land, Superman comes to the rescue, captures them both, and returns them to their underground habitats. So, there's not really a whole lot to that synopsis. It's a very basic plotline. And we're going to uh, start with a Navy sub on its maiden voyage. And apparently Clark is going to be on a press tour of the new ship when all hell breaks loose. And uh, it's an earthquake. And it wakes up a giant lobster because, you know, an earthquake will generally wake up a giant lobster. That's been sitting under the earth for untold years. And looky here. It found a toy submarine to play with. And wouldn't you know it, it's the same submarine that our hero is on. So, looks like we're going to have a Superman vs. a Monster episode here while he tries to save the sailors in the sub. And there's a nice little bit here as the emergency is unfolding. We see Clark take off his glasses and walk off the set. It's almost enough to make you think that we're about to get a real honest-to-God shirt rip. But nope, the cartoon is messing with us and we're back to the dress shirt on his shoulder. So... With Clark having changed to Superman, the Man of Steel goes out from the torpedo tube, gleefully talks underwater, because, you know, we're not really worried about the laws of physics here. And Superman lifts the sub away from the giant sea creature. And now we have the same earthquake in the desert scene, and out comes the giant alligator. I hope you're sensing a theme here, right? It's going to be giant uh, monsters fighting each other. So the military is trying to guide a ship down when uh, the alligator knocks out the radar dish. Hey, Fred, look at that. Uh, a giant alligator. Yeah, that smashed our radar. Moondog! Moondog! Our radar's out! We can't bring you down! Oh, great! We've already started re-entry! So they can no longer track the ship that's landing, and the men in space, you know, they're awful calm about this. Here these guys are, coming back to Earth from wherever they were in space, with really nothing to guide them to the land, and they're just kind of sitting there like it's, like everything is status quo, like there's nothing wrong with what's happening to them, so... But here comes Superman, he catches the rocket in very easy fashion, and there was no friction illustrated or anything. The only thing that, super, that tells us that Superman and this ship are moving at all is the moving background, and as uh, Superman exerts his own force on the ship, he's slowing down, not destroying the ship in any way. So, so again, you know, even though it looks uh, rudimentary, uh, there's nothing better than Superman saving a rocket ship. Just saying. So as Superman's talking to the astronauts here, he starts making double puns when he describes the alligator and the lobster as double trouble. Thanks, Superman. That's all right. What went wrong? Control says a giant alligator crawled out of the volcano. It smashed the radar. A giant alligator and a giant lobster. That means double trouble. Up, up, and away! So now apparently they have both descended on this amusement park and we're having a creature fight. And if these two monsters weren't so hell-bent on destroying this park, they could probably take each other out. So, what we have here is pretty much animal wrestling, with in one corner, we have a giant lobster. In the other corner, 
a giant alligator. And you guessed it, we have our special guest referee, Superman. And this amusement park is going to pay the price. So, uh, in order to kind of keep things under control, Superman lifts up a parachute tower that the animals are attacking. But now monsters are still going at it. But now here is something amusing watching Superman slide down a roller coaster and into the alligator's mouth. So after all the uh, after all this goes on, the uh, gator wins the cage match with the lobster by TKO and throws the lobster into the roller coaster, kind of causing it to melt like putty. Superman, meanwhile, wrecks more of the, of the amusement park trying to muzzle the gator with a giant Ferris with a Ferris wheel. Not really a giant Ferris wheel, just with the giant gator and all the giant lobster and all that. I got. I seem to have giant stuff on the mind here. So, like I said, Superman muzzles the alligator with a Ferris wheel, which is, I guess, a creative way to uh, stop an alligator when you don't have an actual giant-sized gator muzzle. You use what you got, and what Superman's got is a Ferris wheel. I hope whoever owns this amusement park is insured. And I'm going to say right off the bat that looking at some of the past episodes and some of the future ones, this show is not very kind to amusement parks and to circuses. Just saying. Almost makes you think that the writers had a bad experience at these places or something, or had no fun as a kid. So now Superman uh, gets the lobster to grab the gator, and then Superman flies them away, putting them back in the hole that they came out of. So, and then for the ending, come on, Clark, I'll buy you dinner at a wonderful new restaurant I found. Oh, swell, Chief. What kind of food do they serve? Seafood. Biggest lobsters in town. Uh, uh no thanks, Perry. I've had my fill of lobster today. He's full. He's had his full of giant lobster and probably giant alligators, too. I think I have, too. And, you know, this was pretty straightforward. You know, you don't really need much story where Superman's fighting a couple of monsters. So, we're going to go right ahead to our first Superboy segment of the uh, podcast, Operation Counter-Invasion. And this was written by Oscar Bensal. The U.S. Army gets ready to attack a strange UFO that has landed in the desert. A strange, saucer-like spacecraft burst from space into atmosphere. Glowing like a huge, phosphorescent heavenly body, it emits a piercing whine as it streaks downward. Hovers momentarily as if to take a bearing, then, heading for the desert, it settles its huge bulk with feather lightness on the windswept sand. later news of an unidentified spacecraft landing has been flashed to the Pentagon. And in a very short time, tanks, heavy artillery, and several divisions of infantry are deployed to surround the desert area where the menacing craft has been spotted. In the cramped office area, in the rear of Kent General Store, Superboy, in his guise of Clark Kent, frowns as he listens intently to the radio newscaster with his foster father. The occupants of the craft have been ordered to leave or our forces will attack and destroy it. Stay tuned for further bulletins. We return you now to our regular program of music. Dad, I'm going to zip down to Washington and try to convince them that this is a job for Superboy. Good luck, son. Thanks, Dad. Superboy convinces them to give him time to handle the situation peacefully. Mr. Secretary, gentlemen, I have a plan which I think can stop the trouble before it starts. All I want is a little time. All right, Superboy, we'll give you one hour. If at the end of that time your plan has failed, we attack. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Landing near the aliens. Greetings, strangers. Welcome to Earth. How is it you and your dog fly, Earthling, with no visible motive power? Doesn't everyone? If all Earth people and their animals can fly like that... They may give us more trouble than expected. 
Tell me, strangers, how is it you speak my language? Our superior intellect enables us to hear you in our language and speak to you in yours. I see. Well, why don't we be friends? Uh, let's shake hands. Shake hands? Now we can really test his metal. Truck, you are the powerful one. Crush his hand. They are amazed and concerned at the powers and abilities that Superboy and Crypto display and mistakenly convince themselves that their coming invasion of Earth will fail if all Earthlings have these powers. You know, now that I think about it, having just read the synopsis, we're going to see something like this in the 1980s with The Adventures of Superboy. I believe it's the episode The Test of Time where Superboy convinces these two aliens that everybody is like him and they kind of destroy themselves and cancel their plans for an invasion pretty much on that basis. I believe that's a season three or four episode. I believe season three. And as I recall, I seem to enjoy that more in live action than I do here. But let's go right into this one, shall we? We start off with what's not exactly a bad animation of a UFO landing in the desert. And there's some nice scenes of military buildup as, you know, that's probably what would happen when a UFO lands in the middle of the desert. I assume the army would kind of the send on it pretty quickly, and I really like the whole build-up. You know, here we got the UFO landing, the military is being notified, and then the mobilization, and then, of course, the notification of Superboy. You know, I wonder who exactly has Superboy's uh, contact information. You know, does uh, does some five-star general have to call up Chief Parker to find out, to get a hold of Superboy, or do they all have uh, the signal to the uh, living room lamp? But meanwhile, Superboy is getting his news from the radio, and as Clark changes, they copied the animation from the Superman segment. And this is the first time in 13 Superboy episodes that we've seen Clark's shirt draped over Superboy's shoulder. You know, that, that's disappointing. Because we've seen decent shirt rips in the Superboy segment, but not so much in the Superman segment. I'm kind of bummed that the Superboy segment is kind of using the cheap animation trick that the Superman counterparts do. But moving on from that, as we do with all good Superboy stories, Crypto is going to keep a watchful eye. And I like that Superboy is not just going after the alien, that he's paying a visit to the Pentagon. And he negotiates with these guys, and he gets an hour. These adults aren't willing to put too much trust in a teenager, so they're only willing to give him 60 minutes. He takes it, and I'm glad that he asked them if they wanted his help, that he didn't just kind of go in and solve the problem for them. And I also like that even though this episode is only a few minutes, it took him time to show his proud parents following Superboy's actions and praising him. You know, you saw that a lot in the post-crisis comic, most notably the Death of Superman story from the early 90s, where the kids would often watch what Superman is doing on TV, and they and you kind of feel the emotions of the battle right along them. Not necessarily a battle, whatever's going on right along them. Most of the time it's a battle, but in this case, you're going to see it's not so much of one. So Superboy and Krypto start talking to the green aliens, and they have questions, and Superboy makes the aliens think that all Earthlings can fly. And these aliens are going to lord their intellect over Earthlings. Then they're going to test Superboy, and he passes a test of strength. As compared to the Superboy episode I'm going to cover when I eventually get to it, the tests were much more subtle there. Here, they're pretty much outright. We're testing you to see what kind of threat you are. And one alien blusters. The other tries to punch Superboy, but his fist bounces off of him. These guys spend the next minute or so attacking Superboy to no avail and kind of get thrown around by Crypto. They're showing pretty much right away that they're not much of a threat. At least, until they pull out a disintegrator ray. Because all evil aliens have a disintegrator ray handy. 
So now, after all that, Superboy demonstrates that he can play catch with the spaceship with Crypto. Now, after all that, Superboy demonstrates to the aliens that he can play catch the spaceship with Crypto. And it's funny seeing these supposedly all-powerful aliens getting intimidated by Superboy's feats of strength. And they run away, and the episode is over without them, without anybody throwing so much as a punch. Weak aliens, I must say. They just kind of tucked their tails between their legs and ran away. They offered very little resistance. You know, I suppose there's there's something here in the lesson of deterrence, that you, sh- you can use your own strength to deter people from causing trouble with you or bullying you. But if you're coming into a superhero story looking for a little bit of an adventure, this can kind of be a little bit of a downer. And Superboy just kind of talks his way through it. Not the action-packed adventure of Superboy or super- that you would expect. All right, so let's move right into The Deadly Superdoll. And this was written by George Cashkin. A sorcerer makes a small clay replica of Superman and uses it to make the Man of Steel's flight erratic while his thugs go about a crime spree. Using his strength of will, Superman fights against the magic that controls him, stops the thieves, and then captures the evil sorcerer. Another pretty straightforward story. We start with a sorcerer who has created a Superman doll. So we're going to have some voodoo in this episode. Voodoo, also known as black magic. And as we know, Superman is vulnerable to magic, so we're in for a wild ride this time. So we... The sorcerer also has his two very well-dressed henchmen. And look, we're going to go to another amusement park. And this time, instead of an animal uh, wrestling match, it's a robbery as Superman comes in to do something about it. But he can't do anything as he suddenly starts contorting his, uh, his body. And this is kind of amusing. He spins around, does a few flips, and flies around. And eventually he gets control of himself when it doesn't matter anymore. What I mean by when I say when it doesn't matter anymore is when the crime is over and Superman is no longer needed. So, it's great to see Superman challenged. Apparently, the Superman doll was made of some kind of magic clay, and this sorcerer is going to use it again. I still don't know how you made Superman flip, sorcerer. With this likeness of him, which I made from the magic clay of the ancient wizard, Silvius. And all you gotta do is, uh, like, wave it around? Exactly. And now I shall use this power again on our next crime target. Get going. Now they're after furs. And there's a very lackluster looking gun battle. And Superman goes to do something about it. But the wizard is right on point here. He will do his little trick again and kind of make Superman's flight erratic. But Superman uses his super willpower and some super flexing as he breaks the sorcerer's spell. Literally, Superman is puffing out his chest like he's a kind of bodybuilder. And uses super willpower and super flexing. I'm just calling it super flexing. But if you've ever wanted to see Superman look like he's uh, at a weightlifting competition, you may want to check out this episode for nothing else. Now, the cape is a little miscolored here. Instead of a yellow S on the back, it is the opposite of the S on the front. Meaning the negative space is red and the S itself is yellow. Although it's not a necessarily bad looking design on the cape, it's not accurate to what the show normally does. So Superman comes over... Overcomes the spell, bangs the two crooks' heads together, and he, but he still has to meet the sorcerer. But Superman tells Jimmy he knows how to find the sorcerer, and for some reason, Superman actually agrees to take Jimmy with him. I am not sure why he would take Jimmy to such a place. I mean, I wouldn't take my best friend to the uh, villain's hideout. I know Jimmy thinks he's going to get a story out of this, but you know what? Superman is recklessly putting his quote-unquote pal in grave danger. So Superman destroys the clay figure and saves Jimmy, who was set on fire. Again. Why would you bring a liability basically into the lion's den? 
Think, Superman, think. Superman and Jimmy are also going to escape a cage and some closing walls as the sorcerer trying to try everything in the book to slow down Superman. And the animation does a good job of showing Superman's effort here. Just from the facial expressions, the Man of Steel just looks pain. And we're going to get to a, a point where Jim, Superman and Jimmy are going to escape and the sorcerer is basically going to be a sore loser and crash the comet into Earth because if I can't have my plan come my plan succeed, then I'm going to destroy the planet because this is how rational minds think. So the comet, the animation of the comet is nice and red and fiery, and Superman just kind of flies into it and destroys it. So that kind of takes care of that. And according to the ending... That's a great story you wrote, Jimmy, about Superman saving Metropolis from the meteor. Gee, thanks, Mr. Kent. Yeah, but it's too bad the sorcerer got away. Are you sure he did get away? Oh, gosh, Mr. Kent, you told me so yourself. So what? Would you believe me if I said I'm Superman? Oh, come on, Mr. Kent. You're putting me on. The S- Clark tells Jimmy that the sorcerer got away. So, it's possible we're going to see this guy again. Maybe, maybe not. I haven't watched far enough ahead to know for sure. But then, Clark implies to Jimmy that he's not being honest, saying, Would you believe me if I said I'm Superman? I'm not necessarily sure what Clark is trying to say here, but is he implying that the sorcerer has another, another identity that we're not privy to? So, no answer to that question, at least as of right now. So, I just want to say as we end that, that was a pretty good segment and I enjoyed it. If I had any complaint about the adventures of Superman, it was that Superman wasn't really challenged nearly enough. So, except for the, with the exception of Season 6. And it's good to see him challenged in these cartoons on a fairly regular basis. So, with that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to uh, cover the next uh, three episodes for in tonight's podcast. Hang around, folks. As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Two, two, Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to head into the uh, next uh, segment here and all of these episodes that I'm covering were originally broadcast on December 10th, 1966. And our first episode is going to be the New Adventures of Superman episode, Lava Man. And this was written by William Finger. And my best guess is that this is actually Bill Finger, who recently received the credit he deserves as one of the creators of Batman. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Superman flies to stop an erupting volcano that threatens the Mexican town where Lois is. After deflecting the lava flow, Superman finds the lava forms a lava man. Breaking the creature causes the multiple lava men that endanger Lois. Superman stops them by dumping water to cool the lava. Okay, look, we're going to start off right ahead with a volcano is erupting. 
And it's a standard volcano erupting animation. The lava is coming down the sides, and the orange eruption is going into the air. So Then after that, we go back to Metropolis, and Clark is listening to Perry tell him that Lois is right in the path of lava in Mexico, because if a volcano is erupting, you can expect Lois Lane to be right in the thicket. Which, of course, Clark has a uh, sudden appointment, and it is a job for Superman. So here's a plane with a couple of pilots. They're checking out Superman flying by, and uh, they thought it was a meteor, but... I guess in a little uh, five, in a little seven-minute segment, we really need to waste uh, those precious three seconds on some pilots seeing Superman. So here we are in Mexico, and this is the uh, stereotypical rural Mexican mayor with his large sombrero and farmer's garb, and he's literally herding the villagers like cattle. And these people look as though they're going to stampede each other to get out of the way. Many cowboys herd cattle. This Mexican mayor is herding Mexican. Boy, did that sound racist. And I'm just looking at this animation of this Mexican village, and you know what? Let's be honest here. This is animation probably drawn by a bunch of white dudes who probably never left New York City. Or if they did, they didn't go very far. So this is what they think a Mexican village looks like. And meanwhile, while everybody in Mexico is freaking out, here is Lois right next to the mayor, and she's just as cool as a cucumber. And as she's watching, she points out Superman, and they're saved. I will say this, though. The animation is a little hard to follow here. Superman is flying from left to right on the screen, but when Lois sees him, she points to the right of the screen. And when the shot goes back to Superman, it looks as though he's flying away from her. Maybe he is. Maybe he has to pass Lois to get to the volcano, but that would make sense if she's pointing in the direction that the stampede is running. I would imagine they are not running to the volcano. I've seen Stranger Things. So Superman is trying to stop the volcano, and with a great effort that is all over his face, Superman plugs the volcano with another mountaintop, which kind of reminds me of what we're going to see in 1987 with Superman 4 during the uh, Mount Etna sequel. But we've still got a long way to go before we get to that. And the effort on Superman's face looks like he's in pain, and we're going to see some other common Superman things as he is digging a trench to divert the lava away from the Mexican village. So the village is safe, and... There's a nice scene here with the mother and her child reassuring him that they are safe, thanks to Super Hombre. For those of you who remember your Spanish from high school, Hombre is Spanish for man. But you know what? I do like that this show, even though it's only a seven-minute runtime, took a little bit of time out to show, I guess, the human cost that we're not lost on the fact that these people, even though they're animation, are flesh-and-blood people, and they have fears and concerns and worries, and it's nice to see the mother reassuring the son that everything is going to be okay after Superman diverts all the lava. But wait, there's more. The lava is going to give birth. Yes, you heard that correctly. The lava is giving birth to a lava monster, which looks very blobby. Superman, look! Great Scott. Somehow that lava has spawned a freak form of life. A lava man. It's going to attack. Stay put, Lois. I'll handle it. All I wanted to do was knock it out. I didn't expect this to happen. Good grief, Superman. The chunks of that lava man are still active. They're getting bigger. Taking form. They've grown as large as the original lava man. Listen to the strange sounds coming from them. Communication. They seem to be able to communicate with each other. Help! They're surrounding me! Don't move, Lois. I hate to be a crybaby, but I was so scared. I can't blame you, Lois. Those lava men aren't friendly types. Look! They're marching on the town! Oh, Superman, you've got to stop them! How? 
If I slam them, they'll only shatter and create more lava men. But they'll turn the whole town into a blazing inferno. Isn't there anything you can do? Got an idea. Hope this works. Up, up, and away! The same. But Superman punches it and it explodes into more lava men. Kind of like the, the uh, 90s comics villain Riot. Every time Superman punched him, he turned into a bunch more Riot. So Superman here are doing a lot of BSing despite the threat of the lava men. And also in this episode, Superman is calling her Lois, who admits to being scared of the lava men. I can imagine that she can't take the heat that they're uh, giving off. And uh, Superman has no idea how to fight these guys. But instead, uh, Super- Superman doesn't fight them directly. He just goes over to the sea, spins, and creates a water vortex. And he actually gets it to separate from the lake, which I can't exactly reconcile. You know, Superman goes into the water, spins, creates a, a water spout. But you would think that the uh, force of his wind would just move it along the water, that it wouldn't actually take water. Unless, of course, Superman just took the whole lake with him. I don't know. The animation seemed to show that there was some water left, so I can't imagine him creating a water spout and actually separating it from the rest of the lake. But it's a cool image and animation on TV. I always love this trick in the comics, and I'm really getting to a point where I would love to see Superman do this in live action, but it would probably be ridiculously expensive as far as CGI goes. But Superman lets the water out, and it, <laughs> and it puts out the lava men. They've been extinguished. So, in the master shot of Superman, the mayor and Lois, it almost looks as though Superman's eyes are closed, but they're open on Superman's close-up. So, just a kind of little click in the uh, animation there. So, now back at the planet. Kent, where in blue blazes have you been? Aren't you at all worried about Lois and that erupting volcano? Relax, Chief. Everything is under control now. How do you know? Oh, let's just say I uh, got a, a hot tip. You know, just one of these things. Some of these endings can be really grown worthy. But this was a good one. I never get tired of the animated super feet. The technology wasn't there then to do this in live action. So, And I'm sure it's, while it's there now, we're not getting as much of that. But I am glad to see him doing these things here on this show. Kind of letting Superman be super. Where the TV shows, the live action Superman serials and the George Reeves show, they were really limited by what they could accomplish with flesh and blood actors. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, animation is really the, especially back then, the best way to translate comics to the screen. Alright, so that's about all I got for that one. We'll move right along to our Superboy segment, The Jinx Circus, by George Cashton. And our synopsis is very brief, a sentence basically. Superboy and Crypto help a circus played by accidents caused by the owner's former business partner. Alright, so it looks like we're going to get jealous former business partner, you know, wanting to destroy the business because, well, he's not going to get any cut of the money. It's a very old plotline. So, we're going to start out with seeing Superboy and Crypto enjoying themselves. And Superboy and Crypto both do some impressive looking spins, and you don't get this kind of stuff from the Adventures of Superman animators. It's just, the Superman animation is much more static and a lot more kinetic energy in the Superboy animation. A little more fun. And then here is a circus train headed towards Smallville, and oops, off go a few cars from the tender. Now, the physics of this is impossible. The Superboy and Crypto just stop the train cars instantly without derailing them from the track and just kind of push them back toward the rest of the train. All this with no damage. I mean, we're really going to see that eventually Superman is going to have to slow these things down a little more slowly just to keep them from destroying themselves. For those of you who remember the Superboy pilot, Superboy stopped a car by having it run into him, but the, the front of the car was wrecked. Not so much here with the train. So the train is off again and Superboy and Crypto fly away and there is an extended shot of Superboy flying uh, past the clouds and then we get a transition. Apparently this circus owner is plagued by accidents. 
That near accident may still wipe out my circus, Superboy. How come, Mr. Culver? Well, for weeks now I've been plagued by accidents. People are saying my circus is jinxed. They're afraid to come see it. And while there are no such things as jinxes, at least not in this episode, and this guy Jacko is going to ruin the circus, and they're going to sabotage the human cannonball act, and oh boy, does the human cannonball fly. Fortunately, he doesn't fly fast enough to prevent him from being rescued by Superboy, who easily catches him, and we're back with circus owner Mr. Culver, and he's uh, freaking out, and understandably so. Somebody is going after his circus, and this clown's voice sounds familiar, but I'm not placing it. But anyway, we're going to go back to our criminals, and now... Uh, Jacko here is going after the trapeze artists. The rope breaks, and down they go. You know, anytime I watch in a superhero show uh, trapeze artists getting attacked, it can always it always brings me back to the flying Graysons and the origin of the original Robin Dick Grayson. But these guys are definitely not flying Grayson. They're falling trapeze artists, and Superboy and Crypto do a nice job of catching them with the net. They don't catch them personally; they just kind of bring the net out and catch them with it. So now Slag is going to shoot at the th- the three bears and send them berserk. The solution is Crypto makes them dizzy so Superboy can change them. So Now Superboy is going to fix the tent by holding it up and, and pounding in the ground stakes. And I like the shot of Superboy hammering the stake in with his fist. This boy still don't need no stinking hammer. So now our heartless criminals are going to shoot at the dog. Yeah, you heard me. <laughs> in a children's cartoon, these two guys are going to shoot a gun at a dog. Fortunately, it's a super dog and it has no effect, so I guess that's why it gets by the censors of the time. But what I'm pointing out is that nobody hears this. I mean, other than Superboy. I mean, you would think, like, some of the regular people would have at least heard a gunshot. They can't be so wrapped up in the circus that something like that is going to get by them. But it apparently does, and Superboy just kind of grabs the gun away from the criminals and bends it and throws it down angrily. You don't shoot at his dog, and he is pissed. So apparently John Slag, Mr. Culver's former partner, went to prison for robbing the till, and, well, you were trying to do a whole lot more this time. Now, why were you two trying to destroy the circus? Revenge, Superboy. He's John Slag, my former partner. Years ago, I caught him robbing the tear and sent him to prison. He'll have plenty of time to regret his stupidity back in prison. Let's go. Superboy will carry these two guys away from the circus, one under each arm, and he's flying straight up. And you know what? As they're flying straight up, I am seriously hoping that he's not flying them into space. We've seen in the, in the Superman segments that the Man of Steel has a great tendency to send things to space and to other planets. So hopefully Superboy is not going to send them someplace where they can't breathe. But the circus is saved and now Superboy and Crypto will be in exhibit for one day only. Just in time for Mr. Culver to uh, bring in some extra help. Hurry, hurry, special attraction one day only. Guest performance by the one and the only Superboy and his super dog Crypto. Good crowd, Mr. Culver. No one can resist a circus starring Superboy. <laughs> oh, of course. And uh, starring you too, Crypto. you know what, Superboy Superfeet on display will help bring in some extra coin, which is not going to hurt the circus. Crypto, at one point, uh, was acts rather annoyed that uh, Mr. Culver didn't uh, recognize his part in all this, but, but the dog gets his due as well. Not much else to report on that one. You know, there's a problem. Superboy fixed it. I like the train rescue much more than the rest of the stuff. I mean, like I mentioned before, how many times now have we been to the circus or an amusement park? The uh, concept at this point has started to wear a little thin, but... What's not going to wear thin is in our Superman segment. 
Luthor Strikes Again. This is written by Oscar Bensall. Lex Luthor kidnaps Jimmy Olsen to set a trap for Superman. When Superman takes the bait, Luthor and his men fire upon him with kryptonite ray guns. Weakened, Superman tumbles into a vat of lead-based paint, which protects him from the kryptonite, enabling him to capture the villains. Yeah, you heard that right. Superman's gonna fall into some paint, and that's gonna help him catch the bad guys. And, you know, I just want to start off by saying... Poor Jimmy. Everybody captures poor Jimmy. And now he's been kidnapped by a taxi driver. And I love the horrified look on Jimmy's face as kind of the metal plating covers all the windows so the car is just priceless. You could tell he's afraid. At that very moment, cub reporter Jimmy Olsen tears out of the lobby and leaps into a taxi which seems to have been waiting for him. Wait, I haven't even told you where I want to go. Grinning evilly, the sinister-faced driver leans forward and pushes a series of buttons on his dashboard. Suddenly, a steel blind zips up to cover the rear window, then the windows on the right and on the left. Startled, frightened, Jimmy pounds on the back of the driver's seat. Stop! Stop! Let me out of here! I got him, boss. See you at the factory. So Jimmy tries to kick the driver, but he is quickly rounded up by the rest of the men. Now here is Jimmy in front of someone with red hair and a red beard. Could this be Luthor? It sounds like it. Ah, the cub reporter, James Olsen. Leave us, Echo. I'm warning you, mister. Superman is a friend of mine. He'll come to my rescue. I certainly hope so, because I'm going to trap your friend, Superman. And you, Jimmy, will be the bait. A lot of good that'll do you. You're no match for Superman. Perhaps this will change your mind. Luthor, Superman's arch enemy. Yes, the man of flesh will destroy the man of steel. Boss, urgent, downstairs. You can't escape, so don't try anything, Olsen. Great, and me without my emergency signal watch. I was kidnapped. Luthor is holding me prisoner. He plans to trap Superman. I'm the decoy. I'm in a paint factory. I don't know where. Tell Clark to warn Superman about the trap. It worked. You're a real genius, boss. They might be back at any second. I'd better hang up. Jimmy? Jimmy! He hung up. A paint factory? Can't call the police. Have them check every paint factory in town. We must find that boy and get him away from Luthor. I'll do my best, Perry. No time for the police. This is a job for Superman. Well, Jimmy uh, blusters to Luthor for a minute, who takes the wig and beard off to Jimmy's horror. You know, I've watched 28 of these segments so far, and Luthor has had a better reveal here and Superman has had a short run. As I get toward the end of Season 1, I can only hope that Season 2 is better in that regard. So Luthor is going to send the Men of Flesh after the Men of Steel, and now Luthor is going to leave Jimmy in a room with an active phone line. I'm guessing this is part of the trap, and Jimmy will set it right up without a second thought. The call is going to Clark. to get Clark changing into Superman and on his way, and falling right into the trap. Which, of course, you knew that was going to happen. One of the fun things about any Superman story is not only watching Superman fall into the trap, but watching him get out of it as well. So now Luthor is playing with a kryptonite ray gun. Now, this, my young friend, is my latest invention. It is a kryptonite ray gun. Aha! I see you know what kryptonite does to Superman. 
So, now our trap is set. And soon it will be sprung. Take your positions, men. He's pretty much a one-trick pony so far in this show. All he uses is kryptonite rays. The only thing that seems to change is the delivery system. So Superman will attract Luthor to the uh, Rothel Paint Company. Uh, Rothel is spelled R-O-T-H-U-L. For those of you who have a pen and paper handy, we'll just write those letters down. R-O-T-H-U-L. Rothel. Check out the reverse. Luthor. Which... He figures it's Luthor, spelled backwards. I didn't notice that at first, which goes to show that I'm not one for word games. And honestly, if you watched the episode, you already know this. So I guess I should have told you you don't have to play the word game if you already... So Superman finds Jimmy with his X-ray vision, and Jimmy falls into a hatch, because they want Superman to go deeper into the building. Luthor and his men shoot Superman with kryptonite rays, which basically takes the form of flickering green rays on your screen. And then Superman is literally going to fall ass backwards into success. I hope I'm fortunate to fall into success in similar fashion. Or in any fashion. But I do like this. It's just goofy enough to work. And uh, Superman is smart enough to know that lead protects him and he knows he can't open his eyes. And unlike the previous Superboy segment, now Superman is smart enough to know the, that the lead protects him from the kryptonite, but also that he can't use his x-ray vision to see through his eyelids because he's now engulfed in lead. And unlike the previous Superboy segment where Superboy went blind, Superman does use his other senses, kind of the way Daredevil would, and fights Luthor's men and hilariously throws them into various paint colors. But this is one of the smartest segments that I've seen so far, and I love seeing Superman having to match wits with Luthor. You know, Luthor is never going to be able to physically match with Superman, so he has to challenge the Man of Steel's mind in order to accomplish any goals. I will say this though, perhaps maybe Luthor should have moved the lead-based paint before he started shooting uh, at Superman with kryptonite ray guns. However, this segment does imply that Luthor doesn't know the effect of lead on kryptonite, which he should. Superman has used lead against him at least twice so far, but you really can't depend on continuity for this show. Now, funny enough though, that Superman will drop Lex into purple paint. Lex's colors, especially on his power armor, tend to be on greens and purples, so that tracks with what we expect to see in that regard. Now, after uh, being saved by Superman, Jimmy makes a couple of bad color-related puns as this episode comes to an end. Superman, what happened to you? Oh, just a temporary paint job, Jimmy. Boy, what a colorful bunch of gangsters. What are we going to do with them, Superman? We'll have the police pick them up and book them. In a coloring book? <laughs> <laughs> You know, that, this one was great. You know, I really like this one. I think uh, this was going to knock out Deadly Iceberg as my favorite of the episode so far. You know, smart writing, and I really believe Superman has smarter Luthor. <laughs> Even though he kind of fell into the lead paint accidentally. But I like that he was able to do that. That was a great, one of the best so far, like I said. So, next time, I'm going to cover the next four Superman segments. Mission to Planet Peril. The Pernicious Parasite, The Two Faces of Superman, and The Imp Practical Joker. Then also I'll cover the next two Superboy segments, Hurricane Fighters and Superboy Super Dilemma. If you have anything to say on any of the episodes I've covered, please feel free to send me an email at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over in the Facebook group. Just put Man of Screen Podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And also, uh, if you don't mind, uh, if you shop over at Amazon.com, hit the link over at 2TrueFreaks.com when you shop there. That'll help. That helps keep the lights on over the network. So, until next time, folks, have a good one. I'll see you next time. Bye.
Man of Spring Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.